here in just a few moments. For the next four weeks, I'll be preaching a series of four sermons uh, entitled The Unified Local Church. And this morning, the first sermon is entitled God's Rescue Team, and I got ahead of Chad. Chad um, showed the video that I was supposed to story of two people who played a key role there in the rescue. But the great thing about it is we went from thinking that we were watching 12 boys in their coats die right in front of our eyes and the whole world watching to witnessing one of the most daring and well-coordinated rescue efforts in history. There were, for at 24 hours around the clock, a 1,000 people at a time working in coordination with each other, 400 oxygen tanks being rotated in and out of the cave. It was a true race against time and nature. And, but the individuals all came together from around the world and put years of practice to use in a group rescue, and we watched in awe. I watched it for a week there, and I was in awe, and I was inspired by the groups and the individuals who used their knowledge and their training to rescue and save these young men and their coach. Now, here's what I want us to understand this morning as we look at these next four weeks. God has provided us with the necessary training and equipping to allow, to allow us to be a part of the greatest rescue effort the world has ever known. We are a part of the greatest rescue effort in the history of the world, the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the witnessing to other people and winning of souls. Jesus gave us our directive in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Jesus said these words, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave us that commission, but he didn't leave us just with those words. He gave us men like the Apostle Paul, and he would use those men who would give us specific training as to how we are to carry out this command of Christ. Now in our scriptures this morning, Paul is going to give us the example of two men. One a young man named Timothy, who we are quite familiar with. But another, a man named Epaphroditus, who we may not know very much about at all. But let's read these verses, beginning in verse number 19. says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, 
and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of such men, uh, for, the wor- for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, Paul briefly mentions Timothy and Epaphras here, uh, Epaphroditus here, and it's not a casual mention. I noticed as I was studying these verses this week, as I look here in Philippians at, at the markings in my Bible, the only place there on these two pages that aren't marked are the words here that Paul wrote about Timothy and Epaphroditus. I had casually read the account, but I had never really put a lot of study into it until this week when I began to think about service to other people. Now, Paul is just reemphasizing here what he began to instruct in in chapter 1, verse 27, when he said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What he was saying here is live gospel every single day. And he was encouraging them that because of the example of these two men, he could give them an example of people who were serving above and beyond. So let's look at these three points this morning. First of all, God rescues others when we serve others. Timothy and Epaphroditus served the Philippian church in very different ways. Timothy left Paul in a prison in Rome and went to the Philippian church to minister to their needs. Paul had a great love and joy in his heart for the church there in Philippi. And so he, let me turn these lights back up. Some of y'all are already asleep, and I can't see you. There you go. Paul had a great love in his heart for this church at Philippi, and he wanted Timothy to go to them and encourage them. And so Timothy goes, and Paul says this about Timothy, where it concerns them. He says he is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy cares from his heart about how you're doing spiritually, and he wants to come and see you. Timothy is the guy that we all should aspire to want to be as a Christian. Timothy is a great example of a young man who has matured quickly, and he has grown, and now he's a leader there with Paul. And Paul says this, the great apostle Paul says this about Timothy. He says, I have no one who is like him. Now think about that. Paul has served with the apostle Peter. Paul has been around John. Paul has been around some of the other disciples. Paul has been around men and traveled with Barnabas and Silas. But Paul says this about Timothy, I don't have anyone else like him who measures up. Now, Epaphroditus served the Philippian church by leaving Philippi and going to minister to Paul on behalf of them and delivering a message to him and a gift from them to Paul. And then after doing this, Paul says that Epaphroditus served me and ministered to my needs after he brought the gift. Now, Paul's emphasis on these two men show us something here. These two guys aren't just two guys, aren't just two good guys. 
These aren't just two guys who are giving a portion of their check every week to a charity. They're not just two guys who show up on a Saturday at a soup kitchen and do a little work. These are two guys who have had a life-transforming encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has changed everything about them from the inside out. And now because of that life-transforming encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, they are indwelt with God's Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit has motivated Timothy to love the church at Philippi so much that he's roamed to go and visit them. And he has motivated Epaphroditus so much that he's willing to leave the comfort of Philippi to go to a Roman jail to check on the Apostle Paul. They're motivated by the Holy Spirit to love and serve other people. John, 15, John 13, 35, Jesus Christ said these words to his disciples. He said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. These men had love for one another and it was evident that it was in their life Jesus Christ was what motivated them. They have selfless that Paul gives here uh, he gives us two examples he gives flesh and blood examples he gives us men who are examples of selfless conduct to which he is calling the Philippian church to model themselves after now think about this the apostle Paul is he is an apostle he has apostolic authority he could have said to the church at Philippi I am commanding you to send somebody here to take care of my needs. And they would have immediately had to have obeyed what Paul said to them because of his apostolic authority. But he didn't have to do that. Paul could have written a message here and give a lot of theory. He could have said, this is what you are supposed to do. This is what you should be doing. And I want to tell you how you should be doing it. But Paul was able to give flesh and blood examples of two men because here's what Paul knew. He knew that testimony is greater than theory. Testimony is greater than theory. He could have told them what they were supposed to do, but he was able to give a testimony of what two people had already done and how it had impacted their lives, his life. Now, can you give a testimony this morning about what other people have done in your life to impact your life through the love of Christ? Think about it for just a moment. Think about people who have taken and given of their time and their talent and their service to serve you during a time of crisis in your life because of the love of Jesus Christ that they have in their hearts. I can think of a time in mine and Bree's life. Several years ago, we began a journey uh, Bree had an accident, um, and she had a head injury. It caused spinal fluid to begin to leak inside her head. It began to cause complications, not just from there, but all her whole nervous system, lungs, heart, everything about her was affected. We exhausted every doctor in Anniston, Gadsden. We went on a journey to Birmingham. It took us all the way to the Mayo Clinic in Florida. And I was a brand new pastor. We had all these health complications going on. Two teenage boys in the house. And I want to tell you, I was physically, mentally, and spiritually exhausted almost every single day. 
And I can remember a couple of times during that, during that, uh, when it was at its worst, sitting in my living room, and all of a sudden I would hear a lawnmower, a lawnmower in my front yard, and I would look out, and there would be Bill Hart jumping off of a lawnmower with a weed eater. And he would weed eat my yard. And if you've ever watched Bill work, he's going 90 to nothing at everything he does. And there was Bill weed eating my yard. And then he would jump on the lawnmower and he would cut my grass. He did this a couple of times because he knew our situation. And I guess he did. There were small children going to get lost in the grass in my yard. But those are the kind of things. Uh, there were other times when my dad would show up. He would just drop his lawnmower, and he, would, he knew the, the stress and the strain that we were under, and he just cut my grass. I didn't have to ask him. It was because of the love of Jesus and the example of, of that that I can personally say along with Paul that I know exactly what it is for people to live out this service to others because I've seen them live it out to me. And it's most important for us, the local church, if we're a unified local church, it's even more important. It's important for us to be doing it for each other, but it's even more important for us to be living this example to those who are what? Help me, choir. Those who are what? Those who are lost. Those who don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's even more important for them to see the service that we give to them because of the motivation of the love of Jesus and the motivation of the Holy Spirit in our life. So Paul gives us a great example that God rescues when we serve others, and then God rescues when we serve consistently. Look at verse number 22. Paul reminds the Philippians that they know Timothy's proven worth. Timothy is a man of devotion, loyalty, and most importantly, he's a man of longevity. He's been, he was there with Paul when Paul landed in Europe there for the first time and he ministered to Lydia, the first European convert. Timothy was there and he saw that conversion. He saw those baptisms that happened to the house of Lydia. Timothy had been with Paul for many years. He'd seen the great hardships that the apostle Paul had gone through because of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they knew in Philippi, they knew that Timothy was someone they could trust. They knew his worth. Now Paul is writing this letter from a, a, a jail cell in the city of Rome. And Paul is very concerned about what's happening there in the city of Rome in the Christian community. He's very concerned about what he sees there uh, the Roman church has become very self-centered. Paul says this in verse number 20 and 21. He says, um, I have no one like him be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek, and he's talking about the church in Rome, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now Paul is saying here, he's saying here in this church in Rome, Timothy basically stands alone by himself in his Christian commitment and how he lives his life out every day. He's saying that I look around this church in this great city of Rome in the Christian community and I can't find anyone other than Timothy 
who is of like soul and mind about Jesus the way that I am. And so we think about our own lives. We think about the examples that we know in our own Christian community sometimes. Sometimes as Christians, we are, we, when we live a dedicated, devoted life to the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we feel like we're all alone. I spent 13 years youth, doing youth ministry with youth and college-age students. And I watched so many of those students living godly lives and living for Jesus in their lives and dedicated to the Lord, dedicated to service, dedicated to missions. And it would di they would be so disheartened at times because people in the Christian community around them would say that they were living that way, but yet they were having sex outside of marriage. They were living in drunkenness. They were living in all kind of different ways. And, they w and, and everyone knew how their lives were. And these, these youth sometimes would look and they would say, I feel like I'm the only one living the way, that I, the, the way that the Bible instructs us to live. And Paul is pretty much saying that about the church here in Rome. He's saying Timothy feels like he's all alone. And this is the same type of self-centeredness that Paul had warned the Philippians about earlier in this chapter in verse number 4. He said, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of other people. What Paul was basically saying is, it's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Church is not about me. Church is about God. Church is about exalting the Lord Jesus Christ and lifting his name up. Charles Spurgeon said this about the Christian life. He said, self is the worst enemy a Christian has. And we sometimes we have to rise above the pool of the culture that we live in and even sometimes we have to rise above the pool of the Christian culture that we live in because today many Christians believe that it is Christian to pursue self-fulfillment as the ultimate goal in life to pursue self-fulfillment to feel good about myself all the time to feel like I'm always, the old book said, I'm okay, you're okay. Well, there's a lot of days I'm not okay, amen? There's a lot of days I'm down. There's a lot of days that I'm hurting. There's a lot of days that I'm struggling. And that's why we see so many people heap themselves up and go and sit in large groups of people on Sunday mornings so that they can hear a motivational speech that will tell them that everything is good and everything is fine instead of listening to sermons directed straightly from the gospel. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said these words. He said, we must allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. God's going to interrupt our lives sometimes. Is he ever interrupted yours? Listen, I love this book. This is a book on systematic theology. I counted this morning. I have eight other books the same size as this one, all about systematic theology. I can sit and I can open this book and I can read about the great doctrines of the doctrine of the future, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of Christ and the Holy Spirit, 
the doctrine of the application of redemption. Bryson can tell you in our house that this book is, uh, is open most of the time on my desk and I'm looking or reading it and trying to figure out more about what I believe. And here's, here's, here's what I would love to have days to where I could just sit and read this book. Sometimes I'll our former pastor, Brother Philip Cooper, and we'll talk about the things in here when I'm reading and we'll spend an hour talking about the difference between justification and sanctification or some other doctrinal issue. But now here's, here's what, if I am constantly here with my head in this book and I'm constantly reading and I know all these facts and I know all these things and I know everything about them and I'm constantly doing this and, I, and, I'm, and I'm able to get on the phone and tell somebody what I've learned but I walk right by Julie, and Julie's in great need, and Julie's in great distress. That is you, Julie. There you are. And Julie's having problems, and Julie's having troubles, and Julie needs a minister. But here's my head, and I'm right here, and I walk right by Julie. How good? What, what good am I as a minister to Julie? Tell me. No, not much at all. Now, later on, she might call me and tell me, and I'll say, well, Julie, I was reading about justification. Let me tell you about it. Or, well, here, here's a passage about dinosaurs. Let me tell you about where dinosaurs came from. All right? God, is, God needs to interrupt us sometimes. I don't know what your, this, this can be mine sometimes. I don't know what yours can be. But God is going to interrupt us, and we need to pay attention because he has a world out there who needs us and who needs to hear from us about what Jesus Christ has done in our lives in changing us and transforming us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes on to say, We may pass them by, preoccupied with our more important tasks, as the priest passed by the man who had fallen among thieves. He's talking about the Good Samaritan, the priest who just went by, the man who had been beaten. He says perhaps that the priest was even reading the Scriptures. When we do that, we pass by the visible sign of the cross raised in our path to show us that not our way, but God's way must be done. So we rescue others when we serve consistently. Paul says that Timothy served consistently, and then he says we rescue others when we serve sacrificially. Go back with me to verses 26 and 27 here. He says, for he has been longing for you. He's talking about Epaphroditus here. He's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Paul had been in a Roman prison cell for a long time. The Roman prison system did not provide for his food, did not provide for his clothing, and it did not provide for his medicine. He was there in want and in need and depending upon the churches that he had established to take care of his needs. Now the Philippians want to show an expression of love and gratitude to Paul, so they take up an offering to send to Paul. Epaphroditus is a leader there in the church. He makes this 800-mile journey from Philippi to Rome to go and pay Paul's prison expenses 
and minister to his needs. Now, here's, here's what we surmise or here's what we theorize about this trip. He was carrying a whole lot of money. So he probably wasn't traveling by himself. He was carrying a great sum of money. So he probably had a couple of people with him. Now somewhere along the way, he became very sick, almost to the point of death. So what happened probably was one person went back to the church at Philippi and told the church there, Epaphroditus is very sick and he's greatly in need and we need to pray for him. And then another person probably traveled on with him to help him get back to health so that they could make it to Rome with this large sum of money. So when they get there, Paul writes this letter back to them, and he wants the church to know that Epaphroditus has completed his mission and that he's okay. Now I want you to think about this. Think about these three descriptions that Paul gives of Epaphroditus. He says these words about him. First of all, he calls him my brother. My brother. This exhibits the love of a believer for another believer. Brother. That was hard for me to get used to when I became a Christian. People began to call me Brother Michael. Hey, Brother Michael. Bree would see me out somewhere. We were just friends then. She'd say, hey, Brother Michael. And I thought that was just the funniest thing. I'd say, hey, Sister Bree, how are you? People call you brother. Brother so-and-so. It was more common when I was a kid that you called people in the church brother or sister so-and-so. Now people call me Brother Michael or Pastor Michael or Pastor Mike or something like that. But what it is is it shows that we're a part of a family. We're a part of the family of Christ. And Paul says here that Epaphroditus, although we don't share any common heritage, he is my brother because we are both believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and we have that union about us. He describes him also as my fellow worker. Now think about that. That's high praise. We have the greatest missionary evangelist who ever lived on the face of the earth calling Epaphroditus my fellow worker. Paul was the upfront guy. He was the apostle. He was the one who was speaking. Epaphroditus was the guy behind the scenes, the guy that was doing the work that Paul couldn't do sometimes so that, that Paul was able to speak. Last night and this morning, I'm, I'm here speaking this morning, but last night I threw a whole bunch of changes in the slides at Chad, and then this morning I showed up and I had more changes for Chad. I confused him so bad, I'm just glad he stayed around. But I'm here speaking, but what Chad did was just was so important to me, it put my heart at ease so that I could preach, and Chad played just as a great a role in this as anyone did. And Epaphroditus was that person who, who was there with Paul. He was his fellow worker, and more importantly, Paul describes him as a fellow soldier. Paul said these words in, in Ephesians six twelve. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is saying that Epaphroditus has been here in Rome with me in this dark place, in this prison, where Satan attacks me and where Satan comes against me. And Epaphroditus has been here and he's been my fellow soldier. 
He has prayed constantly with me. He has witnessed to me. He has encouraged me. We have prayed for the city of Rome. We have written sermons together. We have preached together. We have been here in a fight against the spiritual darkness in this city. This is some of the highest praise that anyone gets in all of the scripture. Now, here's how we can tie Epaphroditus back to being Christ-like. Go back here in chapter 2 and look at verses 5 through 8. This is Paul's description of the Lord Jesus Christ before he writes this testimony about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Then Paul comes and gives us this example of Epaphroditus, and he says Epaphroditus was willing to give his life for me as a brother in Christ. Jesus said these words in John 15, 13. He said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down their life for his friend. Epaphroditus was the living example of what Jesus said in John 15 because Epaphroditus was willing to go to Rome and lay down his very life for his friend Paul. That is a friend. That's a great friend. Dietrich Bonhoeffer also said, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Epaphroditus had died spiritually to who he used to be as a person, and now he was living, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. There was a newness of life about Epaphroditus because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And he could understand the words of Jesus when Jesus said, If anyone is going to follow me, he has to take up his cross and die daily. I have to die daily. I have to die to the person I used to be. There's somebody, there's an old nature that resides in me that I have to crucify constantly. I have to kill that old person. There's an old person, in, uh, an old me, who would wake up in the morning, get a couple of bags of Doritos and some uh, double-stuffed Oreos and a two-liter Coke and sit there and watch Sports Center all day. I have to kill that guy every day or I, I wouldn't be able to even get out, get out of the bed to be here. There's an old nature there that wants to sin, that, that, that longs for some of that old lifestyle. That newness in Christ has to crucify that all the time. And Paul is saying here, Epaphroditus is a wonderful example of someone who's serving sacrificially and willing to give his life for the cause of Christ. You say, so what, now what? Well, here's the question that I want to ask this morning. Why are godly models like Timothy and Epaphroditus, as well as Paul, so effective in communicating biblical truth? Why are these men so effective in communicating biblical truth? Why 2,000 years later are we sitting here discussing them 
and what they did back then. Here's the answer. Words can be very hollow without life verification. Words can be very hollow without life verification. I can tell you everything you want to know about this. I can make an A in this class easily. But if I can't live what is here, and if I can't give you an example of Jesus Christ from here, then I am, my words are very hollow, and you can't take any verification from my life and say that it is a life that is being lived the way that Jesus Christ would call us to live. In other words, what it's saying is practice what you preach. Be who you say you are. Don't compartmentalize. Don't come on Sunday morning and be one person in Sunday school and worship service and leave and be someone else Monday through Saturday, but be a verification of the Lord Jesus Christ because the world needs rescuing. The world that we live in, although they may not know it yet, they may not realize that they are in the darkness and the depths of a cave. And, and they are much they, These young men that we talked about were separated by two and a half miles from the mouth of a cave to where they were. And in between them was treacherous water and hypothermia and all kind of disease that they could have been a part of. But some people put their efforts together and went in and did a miraculous thing in rescuing them. Here's what I want you to know. The world is separated by something much greater. They are separated by a great gulf of sin and they have to be rescued whether they know they're in that condition or not. Derek Anderson is a rescue specialist with the United States Air Force. And he said this, what was really important was when the coach and the boys all came together and discussed staying strong, having the will to live, and having the will to survive. There was a moment there where they realized this is a life or death situation and how we respond to this determines whether we live and get out of here or whether we die here in this cold, dark place. See, you and I are dealing with eternal matters. They're not just matters of life and death physically. They are greater issues of life and death spiritually. We are to be about, as Jesus said in the words that we read at the beginning, it is our job to go and to make disciples of other people and to teach them all that we know so that they in turn go and make more disciples. We are dealing not with just physical life and death. We are dealing with the eternal soul of mankind. And so we do that. God has placed us here in a local unified body of people so that we can pull our efforts and resources together and go and do that. Now here's our Monday morning moment in closing. Here's what I want us to think about tomorrow morning when we get up and when we go about our week is this. Show others a sermon through your service this week. Show others a sermon through your service this week. Darby's leading a group of people from our church this week 
who will be going down and, and ministering to those who are working with world changers. World changers will be at the other end of the county, and they'll be working for people and building for people who can't do things for themselves, and they'll be ministering the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to those people through their service to them. We each individually and as a body of believers, we have the opportunity this week to show others a sermon through our service this week. How can you serve someone who doesn't know Christ as Savior? And how can, through that, how can you open a door for you to be able to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them through the service that you give to them? This morning, that's our task. And that's what we're called to do through this local church. If you're here this morning and you've listened to this and you've, you've heard what I've said, but you realize that there's a gap there with you, that there's a separation with you, that you haven't begun to be motivated to do these things out of love because you don't have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning would be a wonderful time for you to, to take that and to get it as a part of your life, the, the main, the main important part of your life, and to live the rest of your life serving others joyfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to be an example to others of going to believers' baptism or, or uniting with this church and being a part of going and doing and, and ministering to other people. This would be the perfect time. We're going to have a time of invitation, of reflection, of worship. Whatever decision it is that you need to make this morning, I encourage you to do it while there is time. And I encourage you this morning, if there are you need to pray about, if there's something that God has laid on your heart to pray about doing for someone else, I pray this morning, you wouldn't worry about what anybody else would think about you coming to the altar. You just come to the altar and ask the Lord to help you with it. As Darren comes, would you stand? Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to preach, to teach, and to speak on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for Paul giving us the example of these two men and their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray this week that we would live our lives as a sermon to serve someone else. And Father, I pray that through the coming weeks you would unify us greater, you would bring us to common cause of taking the gospel to people who don't know Jesus as their Savior. Whatever it is we need to do at this moment, would you lead us through your Holy Spirit? I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.